He said, I have much to write to you, but I do not want to do so with pen and ink. I hope to see you soon, and we will talk face to face. There's all kinds of things I can say to you. There's all kinds of stuff I want to say to you. I could write it, but you know what? I want to see you. I want to do this when we're together. And I think that there's something about that as we think about where we're at now. I mean, yes, technology has been so helpful. Yes, doing this has been so great. But faith needs to be face to face. And so I just want to encourage you to consider prayerfully, if you're online, coming and being part of service. I know for me to say that, it's one thing, but this isn't just me. I want you to be able to hear it from other people and just kind of different people's perspective. So I've asked Alexandra if she could come and just kind of share her journey over the last year navigating the pandemic, but also most importantly, her faith and relationship with the church through the pandemic. And so Alexandra is going to come up. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Alexandra Ewing. I've been coming to New Life Lincoln Park for about seven years. And when COVID first started, I was really nervous to go anywhere, probably like most people. Um, I was working from home. I stocked up on groceries like once every two weeks to avoid going out. And we didn't even get takeout for like the first six weeks. And my husband, Kale, is on the worship team here. Um, You've probably seen him playing piano. Um, and he continued to volunteer in person while we were doing online services. Uh, I stayed home and watched online, and I was really nervous for him to come in here and play piano, even though there was just a couple people in the building. When we started to open the church again to the 50-person capacity this summer, um, I was still nervous, but I felt a sense of duty that if the church doors were going to be open, I should be there helping uh, make sure it's as smooth and safe as possible for anyone coming in. So... What started out as a sense of responsibility um, quickly turned into, honestly, a reason to leave the house and put on jeans. Um, But more than that, uh, it became a place um, that I got a renewed sense of hope and um, light during what was really a dark and heavy time. As time went on, my nerves started to subside. Don't get me wrong, we still follow all the necessary precautions here, which you know if you're here with us in person. Um, But I can't tell you how good it feels to actually see people in person again. Uh, There's just something about um, seeing somebody walk through the doors for the first time after we haven't seen them in months. There's this sense of palpable joy and excitement watching people reunite and getting to catch up with people, um, even if it is six feet apart with masks on. And while it's true that the church is not the building, the church is the people. And there's just something so beautiful about getting to worship alongside each other and hearing each other worship and seeing others worship too. Um, and this has provided for me a renewed appreciation and a sense of important, importance for the fellowship that God has given us with each other. So if you're joining us online, I really hope that you consider joining us in person one Sunday. Awesome. Thank you so much. And, you know, I, I appreciate Alexandra's openness and just the journey that she's had and knowing there's many and who are you probably in her same shoes. And so I want to encourage you as you think through just coming back, if you have questions, I know that you can only see so much on the screen and there's a lot more happening. And so if you have questions about what our protocols protocols are, how we're handling things, what happens in the building, how we're sanitizing, please email us. And so the QR code that's on the screen, you can scan that, fill out the contact information. We will follow up with you. Parents, I know that with managing kids, we're uh, 
talking about that even this week, meeting with Lindsay, our kids director, and talking with Gabby and Andres, like how can we organize things for the kids? But even within that, I have an 11 and 14 year old. I've had little ones. Your little ones being here are not gonna annoy me or bug me at all. And they're not gonna either anyone else. Bring them along. We have coloring pages. Bring a screen and headphones. Whatever would allow you to come with them, we want to have people together. So I just wanna challenge you to be praying. We have, think about for the first few months, I wish we could be together. But as time goes on, we form new rhythms and kind of new um, ways of just kind of rhythms for the weekend. And we have to get back to that, now is the time we can be together. And it's time to change those rhythms that form to go back to old rhythms. Because being with community is a rhythm that's vital for faith. So we just pray that you would consider that. Um, Join me this morning in Mark chapter 10. Mark chapter 10. If you have a Bible and you want to turn to there or click to there, if you don't, that's totally fine. I'll have the passages up on the screen as well. But we started last week talking uh, about this new series called Different Jesus. And we started this conversation just talking about the different preconceived ideas of Jesus that people have, not only of what he looked like, but more importantly, how he lived and interacted with people. The truth of the matter is, though, is that Jesus didn't look like probably most of us, if any of us, and he also didn't share our worldview. Jesus was not American. He was not living out American values and ideals. That's not an attack on what it means to be American. It's just objective reality. He established his church and he taught how he wanted his followers to go about their lives, how he wanted them to be like him. But unfortunately, many in it at times don't always live according to what he taught or how he guided us to be like him. No, we'll never fully 100% understand every aspect about who Jesus is or what he taught or how he lived. But it is vital that what we do know and what we can know is correct and pure and true in light of what the Bible reveals about him and teaches about him and how he talked about himself. We want to make sure that, all right, there's so many different ideas about Jesus out there that are talked about with him, presented about him, but what we see in the Bible can be different from those. And that's the image of Jesus that we want. Something different than that's portrayed a lot, but what's true to scripture. How does Jesus reveal himself in his his word? And then how does that help us formulate not only our ideas of him, but our ideas of ourself as we live for him? And so we're gonna look at this short story in Mark chapter 10, this next part of this. But before we get into it, I just wanna pray and ask that God would speak to us. God, we do come before you and I'm just grateful for your presence and grateful that we can be within it together. Whether we're sitting in this room or sitting at home, knowing that we are connected with you and with one another through you, God, we are grateful for your church. And I'm so grateful for how you've made this part of your church. The personalities, the friendships, the things that happen in this place, I'm grateful for God for what you're doing. I pray that you would work this morning that spirit, you would move and you would say the things that we need to hear, that you would penetrate our hearts and minds, that you would let our perceptions of you be seen for what they are and that you would make them more in line with you. 
that we would be open to hear from you, God, to be challenged by you, God, that we would be encouraged by you. I pray that you would help us to become more and more like you, Christ, and you would do that today. And so speak, in your name we pray, amen. And so this short story at the end of chapter 10 of Mark, verses 46 to 52. And really what I want to do today is just walk through the story. Kind of go through a little bit of time, talk about some of the details, what we see happening here. Walk through the story and then talk about what the implications of it would be. Okay, if this is what's going on here, then what does that mean for us? So the story, the story, the story starts in verse 46. Then they came to Jericho. Now, Jericho is really close to Jerusalem. It's about 15 miles east of Jerusalem, about like a half a day walk. And Jerusalem was a very significant city. It was an ideal place for crops and for its military position. And at this time, it would have been a wealthy city, an affluent city. But simply because the city was known for that doesn't mean that everybody within it was. And so they came to, to Jericho and as Jesus and his disciples together with a large crowd. And so Jesus and those who are his disciples, which means those who follow him, those who have committed to live life with him and be like him and learn how to live as he would want them to live, who are following him, that group is together with this crowd. These people who have heard about Jesus and heard about the miracles that he does and have seen the amazing things that he's done or maybe they've heard about it and are tagging along to see the next thing or maybe get in on the next thing. And so there's this crowd of people. We don't know how big the crowd would have been. There's no way of knowing that. It might have been a couple dozen people. It might have been over 100. We have no idea. But the thing that we can pretty confidently say is that anybody who wasn't part of this, these two groups who are walking together would not have known that there were two groups. They would have just seen a crowd. They would have seen a large crowd of people walking. It wasn't like some of them had I'm with Jesus t-shirts on or something like that. There was a crowd of people. It says, as Jesus and his disciples, together with a large crowd, as they were leaving the city, a blind man, Bartimaeus, which means son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside begging. Now, Bartimaeus was probably, based on this description, probably by the city gate. And some during this time, such as the blind, the lame, others, those who could not engage in the normal work of this time, they would set up by a busy city gate where a lot of people would come in and out, like this would be like the main drag of the place, to ask for money, to beg for alms, to get, ask for help because they had no other way of working. And so the only way they could f eat was if somebody gave them food, if money to buy food. The only way that they could survive is if somebody provided and helped them because they couldn't go and work the normal ways. Now it's important to note here, I think, especially as we think about this kind of looking back, that in this context, a blind individual experienced this situation. But it doesn't mean that there's something wrong with him. In the sense that blindness does not equal less than human. It's just the reality of what he was experiencing. Does that make sense? So we don't want to equate his blindness as something bad. That's not what's happening in the story. It says in verse 47, when Bartimaeus heard 
that it was Jesus of Nazareth coming by, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Now, this is happening at the end of Jesus' public ministry. And so a lot of people were hearing about him. A lot of people had heard the stories. A lot of people knew about the miracles. And by now, word has probably even gotten to Bartimaeus, hey, this Jesus one, the one who does miracles, the one who heals people, the one who has given sight to the blind before is coming by. If you know that this is the guy who's coming by and you know what he can do and you know what you need, the appropriate response is, Jesus, over here, have mercy on me. It says, but in 48 though, Many rebuked him and told him to be quiet. But he shouted all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. Now I want you to think about this rebuking and telling him to be quiet. What Bartimaeus hears changes. Same voices talking, but now different words coming out of these voices. First, Bartimaeus heard people talking about Jesus. But now, Bartimaeus hears people talking about him. He can't see who any of these people are. So he can't differentiate that there's people who are following Jesus and there's just a crowd. He just hears people talking about Jesus. And now he hears people talking about Jesus being annoyed at him disregarding him, telling him they don't want to hear about his situation, that he just needs to be quiet. Remember, there's two different types of people in this crowd. But for Bartimaeus, all he hears is one collective dismissive response. Verse 49, though, Jesus stopped and said, call him. So they called to the blind man, cheer up, Bartimaeus, on your feet. He's calling you. Throwing his cloak aside, Bartimaeus jumped to his feet and came to Jesus. People may have passed him by. People may have whispered for him to shut up. But I picture Jesus stopping and the entire crowd going quiet. And then I picture, to me, this crowd would be almost like two siblings who just got busted for fighting and not getting along, all of a sudden acting really chummy. Oh, we're good. We love each other. Don't give us too much punishment. We're good. Not that I know of two kids who would do that. But I kind of see them kind of changing their behavior really quick. Hey, Bartimaeus, this is your day. This is awesome. He's calling you. Come to him. But it's again, it's not clear who's doing this. Is it one of Jesus' followers? Or is it just a random person in the crowd who's relaying Jesus' message? And Bartimaeus, like Peter before him who left his nets to follow Jesus, like Matthew before him who left the tax collector's booth to follow Jesus, now Bartimaeus leaves his cloak behind to come to Jesus. And And That might seem like, well, yeah, he forgot his jacket. No, 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 that's probably the only thing he owns. And not only the only thing he owns, that's the means by which he begged for help. 
as people would toss whatever coins or money they could give him into the cloak and he would collect it in that manner. He's left everything. Verse 51, what do you want me to do for you? Jesus asked him. The blind man said, Rabbi, I want to see. Go, said Jesus. Your faith has healed you. Immediately, Bartimaeus received his sight and followed Jesus along the road. Now, just like Bartimaeus isn't the first one who left everything to come to Jesus, Bartimaeus is not also the first person that Jesus asked the question, what do you want me to do for you? In fact, he asked this very question in the story right before the one we're looking at. In Mark 10, verses 35 to 37, right before this, two brothers who followed Jesus came to him and said this. James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to Jesus and said, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. And really doesn't that sound how, like a lot of, first there's a little bit of audacity to that, some chutzpah there. But I think there's also a telling commentary that maybe that also describes some of our prayers. Jesus, I want you to do the thing that I'm going to ask you. Rather than coming to him submissively and in faith. What do you want me to do for you? Jesus asked. He asked the same question he asked Bartimaeus. They replied, let one of us sit at your right hand and the other at your left in your glory. You don't know what you're asking, Jesus said. Scholar David Garland, he explains the contrast between these two cities by saying this. The disciples' answer to this question is telling. They want to sit on thrones with Jesus and reign with him in triumph. Bartimaeus is sitting in the dust, makes no demand for glory, but cries out from his wretched poverty. He only wants to see. The disciples see Jesus as a Messiah who will bring them mad, mad mastery and glory. Bartimaeus sees him as the son of David who brings him healing and sight. Jesus cannot grant the disciples' request for power, but he can grant a blind man's request for vision. But for Bartimaeus, not only did he receive physical sight, but most importantly, he received spiritual sight. He found new life, a new way now with Jesus. Now, this is a short story, but it is a powerful one. And it is a story we need to grasp the implications of as we think about who Jesus really is. As we think about how different Jesus is than how some people or even ourselves can perceive him. And so what are some of the implications from this story that we need to consider? Well, the first one, while we are sitting at the gate, if you will, in need or lost and feeling helpless, we may think that Jesus doesn't want to hear our cries, but he welcomes them. We may think that Jesus doesn't want to hear our cries, but Jesus welcomes them. Jesus does not walk by you. Jesus doesn't ignore or minimize or silence our hurt. Jesus stops. We're actually going to talk about this in depth next week. 
But as part of the story here, and because I believe we cannot reiterate it enough, Jesus stops for us. Jesus comes to us. Jesus calls to us. Jesus welcomes our needs, our pains, and our hurts. This is the Jesus that even when the Old Testament says in Isaiah, the high and lofty one who lives in eternity, the holy one says this, I live in the high and holy place with those whose spirits are contrite and humble. I restore the crushed spirit of the humble and revive the courage of those with repentant hearts. God's heart, Psalm 34 says, the Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. Bartimaeus gives us the example. Cry to Jesus. Jesus, have mercy on me. Jesus, help. Bartimaeus gives us the example. And when we think about this crowd rebuking him, do not rebuke yourself. Because I think that one of the voices we can listen to that tells us to stop don't talk about it, bury it down, keep it in, as we say those things to ourselves. And we can't rebuke ourselves. When you hear yourself telling you just to be quiet, to get through it, know that that's not what God has for you. And he wants you to be honest. He wants you to be open. He wants you to bring those things to him. Don't listen to others who rebuke your hurts or feelings or experiences and tell you to just get over it. And that's the thing. There's a difference between how Jesus and how others can respond to our pain and hurt. Some can encourage making the pain, the hurt, our identity, making it who we are, and in turn, we never find healing, forgiveness, and renewal. Some can minimize or trivialize the pain or the hurt or the situation and in turn cause more damage because they're not pointing to a pathway of healing and forgiveness and renewal. Only Jesus stops and calls out to us to come to him with our pain and our hurt. And he, but he doesn't only offer us healing and forgiveness and renewal. He provides a new identity beyond the hurt. Again, we're going to talk about this idea all next week. But when you hear Bartimaeus' story, know that Jesus stops for you. Jesus does not go by busy and indifferent and minimizing. And you can cry out to him. You can be honest with him. You can lean into his strength and you can lean into the community that he has placed you in. That's the reality of the body of Christ is we are meant to go through this together. And so that, if you're in here on, on site, that QR code and that number will come up a little bit later. If you're watching online, you should see it right now. Scan that and there's a spot on there that says, I need help, I need prayer. If you're going through something, you're not meant to carry that alone. We want to be able to come alongside you and encourage you, but you have to reach out so we can. Know that we may think Jesus doesn't want to hear our cries, but he welcomes them. The second thing we need to think about, just the implications of the story is this, is that while we walk through the crowds and the busyness of life, we may think that Jesus wants to quiet the cries of those in need, but he actually calls to them. We may think that Jesus wants to quiet the cries of those in need, 
but he calls to them. Now, you might be thinking, like, isn't that a little redundant based on what you just said? No, the first point was about your hurts and cries and hurts. This point is about others. And so as we go through the busyness and we hear people crying out, as we hear people talking about their hurts and their situations and the things that they're dealing with, he doesn't want them silenced. He calls to them. And that's the thing in the story that we can't miss, though, is how does Jesus call to them? He doesn't do it himself. He tells his followers to do that. Call to him and bring him here. That's how Jesus works. Jesus doesn't want his followers to simply walk on by the hurting and those in need. And he certainly doesn't want his followers to rebuke and silence their cries. He wants us to call people to him, to go to them, to walk alongside them. In the church world, we like to talk about not going along with the culture a lot. We need to talk about that. We talk about that a lot here. But we need to make sure that as we talk about it, that we cover all of our bases in doing so. Think about all the different issues in our world today where we see pain and hurt and trauma. How these things come up when we talk about issues of race and gender and sexuality and economics, big ones amongst all the others. If we talk about we can't go along with culture in these things, but we have to respond to them the way God would have us respond to them, we need to realize the different ways that culture can respond to these issues. Some in our culture would lean one way and create identity markers out of the issues that come out of these various topics that will create identity markers because of the pain, because of the hurt, because of the trauma that has happened. The concerns to be mindful of here is that when you make your pain, your hurt, or your trauma an issue of your identity, then you might not be interested in healing or forgiveness because by being forgiven or finding healing, you would lose your identity. But we weren't made to identify with hurt. We're meant to heal from hurt. God offers us healing and renewal and forgiveness. And that's the big thing. All of these issues are incredibly important issues to talk about and deal with. But they're not, they're horrible identities. So we can't identify with the hurt. We have to deal with the hurt and find healing and restoration and renewal. Some in our culture lean the other way and deny or dismiss that there are issues that need to be addressed in these different topics like race or gender or sexuality and economics. When issues get raised along these topics, then the warning words come up. Beware of socialism. Beware of social justice. Beware of critical race theory. Beware of anything that perverts the gospel. Now, I 100% agree with the mentality that we cannot pervert the gospel, and I agree 100% that there are issues in these concepts that aren't in line with the gospel, and we have to be aware of that, and we have to be mindful of that. But you know what else is not in line with the gospel? Avoiding those who are hurting, ignoring the poor, Acting like issues don't happen with people that are different from us just because we haven't experienced it. That is the distortion of the gospel. 
We cannot just dismiss people because we don't have the experience. And we cannot, because of some concerns with some different ideological thoughts, use that as an excuse to not come alongside those who are hurting and those who are in need. We have to make sure that everything we do is in line with the gospel. So the warning that the church needs is not to fall for either part of culture's wrong way of handling these things. And But the thing we have to be really mindful of is to not be so critical of one side of things that we miss how equally messed up the other side of things is. The kingdom of Jesus is one that stops for the hurting and the need of others, that calls out to people and comes alongside people, that is present and offers help. So anything that we point to that doesn't eventually lead us to Jesus or anything that we point to that ignores our responsibility to come alongside people, those are distortions of the gospel. God describes wise living being part of his people as whoever mocks the poor insults his maker. He who is glad at calamity will not go unpunished. People who are one with God cannot look at those in need and go, because that's not how God works. Jesus describes those who follow him in Matthew He says, come, you who are blessed by my Father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was imprisoned, and you came to visit me. This is the other part of the gospel. It isn't simply about finding Jesus, but it's also living Jesus. And we have to be true to the gospel. Throughout the gospels, the crowds and even his disciples, in the stories of Jesus, his own followers did not want to let a leper come near Jesus. Did not want a woman with a hemorrhaging medical issue come near Jesus. Did not want little children to come near Jesus. And now not a blind beggar. But Jesus stops for all of them and calls out to all of them. And shame on the church today if we are stopping people from coming to him. If we are not helping people experience his love. But instead, just only looking at the issue and taking care of some really important things, but ignoring people's need for Jesus. And shame on us if we just point to excuses for not helping people where they are. Because both are equally distorted views of who Jesus is. And so you have to ask yourself, I have to ask myself, who do you keep passing by? Who do you dismiss what they're going through because they're not like you? Who do you avoid bringing to Jesus? Because the reality is is that Jesus wants you to call people to him. And Jesus wants you to go to people and love them the way he loves them. And that is tangibly, not simply telling them about their their eternal need without them also showing them the help that they need right now. It's not either or, it's both. That's what we see in Jesus. 
We may think that Jesus wants to quiet the cries of those in need. And God help the church if that's what we do. And we see that happening many times today. Jesus calls out to those who are in need. The last thing we need to think about, while we may come to Jesus with our wants and questions and needs and desires, we may think that Jesus only wants us to say a prayer. But the reality is, is that Jesus wants everything. Jesus doesn't want you just to check a box, just to follow through with a couple list of check boxes. Jesus wants you. In the previous story, the disciples had it all wrong. They came to Jesus wanting power, wanting notoriety, but Jesus wanted to give them so much more. They did not realize what they were asking for, though, so Jesus cuts deeper and deals with the heart issue. Bartimaeus came with nothing, though. And someone could dismiss that he did not have a whole lot to work with anyway. It couldn't have been that hard. But that is simply dismissive and not true. He gave up his cloak. He gave up his way of earning the little that he could earn. He gave up everything. When talking about what it means to be one of his followers, in Mark chapter 8, Jesus says, he called the crowds to him along with his disciples. You both need to hear this, he says. Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. We have to deny ourselves, take up the cross, and follow him. A guy came to Jesus at the beginning of chapter, Mark chapter 10 asking, what do I do to receive eternal life? He had everything. He was well off. He was comfortable. He said, what's the thing I have to do? And Jesus says, you don't have to do anything. You just have to deny everything. You have to not find your identity in this stuff. Be willing to let go of that. Come to me. Follow me. And he couldn't do that because he was just looking for a checkbox. And he wasn't willing to surrender at all. The two brothers wanted power and notoriety from Jesus. They still weren't grasping the idea of denying themselves, taking up their cross and following him, coming alongside him and what he was doing in the world. But with Bartimaeus, we see how it's done. I deny everything. I find my identity in nothing else. I deny who I am. I deny everything else and follow Jesus. And so are you like the rich guy? wanting a specific checkbox, just looking for the easy task or the thing to do rather than surrendering, denying who you are and following him? Are you like the brothers, wanting something specific for you, wanting, I should be able to do this, I have my rights, I want to be able to accomplish this, I want to do this, rather than denying yourself? and following Jesus and all that he offers. Jesus offers us a life beyond anything that we can create or imagine, beyond what anybody else can offer us or provide, but it only happens when we deny everything, stop looking to everything, surrender, and put our faith in him. Ephesians 2, 8, 9 says, It's by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourself. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. We can't do it on our own. We can't impress God. We can't, there's no checklist. It's trusting in the reality of Jesus and receiving that life like a gift. Romans says, 
If you declare with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it's with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it's with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. Not just having the information about Jesus mentally, but in your heart, who are you putting, aligning you with? Who are you trusting you with? Are you relying on your own deeds, on your own accomplishments, on a relationship, on a job, on your finances, whatever that might be? Jesus says you have to deny yourself. You can't look to anything else. You have to look to him. And when we say nothing else is going to lead my life, nothing else is going to be master over my life, nothing else is going to be Lord of my life other than Jesus, I'm aligning me with him. When you receive that gift and say, Jesus, I'm trusting you, that's when we become new people. That's when we have a new identity. That's when we truly live. And so do you need to do that today? Maybe you're in here this morning, maybe you're watching online and you've never put your faith in Jesus. You've never denied all of it, said no to everything else so that you could say yes to him. You can do that today. You don't need to come to me. There's no form to fill out. You don't have to get approval. You just come to Jesus. Confess your sin, acknowledging what he's done on the cross. Say, God, save me and give me life. Maybe you're in here today and you've already done that. That's part of your story. But are you showing that or are you silencing those around you? Do you see how that was more than just a prayer that you prayed at some point? Or do you see the, rea- that, or do you see the reality that it's everything and that God's calling you to be a part of what he's doing? And there are people crying out in our world that they're hurting and they need help and they have struggles and whatever it might be and he wants you to come alongside them and call them to him. Don't get comfortable in that prayer that happened. Be active and thriving in your relationship to Jesus today because he wants you to be a part of what he's doing. It's only in him that we have life. We have to deny everything and follow him. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for the amazing love that you have for us. We thank you, God, that you stop, that you look to us, that you call us, that you want us to live with you. God, forgive us for the times when we get sidetracked. Give us for the times when we get dismissive. God, forgive us for the times when we look and want to be comfortable. God, I pray that you would give us a burden for the world around us, that you would give us a burden for the hurting around us, that we would not make excuses, but that we would look for opportunities. God, for those who don't know you, that you would show them the immensity of your love, that you would call them to you and give them courage to respond. It's in your name we pray, amen. We're gonna do